my goodness. Welcome Synergy Autism Podcast listeners. I am really glad you're here. You're here. I just got another person saying that they really appreciate these podcasts. So I am so appreciative every time if if you're listening and you want to share with me what you like about these or if you would like to share something that you would like to hear me talk about, I just adore hearing from you. So please please do. Barbara at SynergyAutismCenter.com is the best way to get a hold of me. So today I am feeling the need to do a podcast on a very important and tough topic. Today I'm going to talk about autistic individuals committing crimes. Some of you may say, what? People with ASD commit crimes? (laughs) That would have been me a few years ago. But guess what? Yes, it does happen. Or you might be a client or a parent saying, oh my gosh, what if my child or I could end up committing a crime? Well, then I'm glad you're here um, because there are some things that can help. And um, I'll be talking about some of them, but... I'm also wanting to really make sure that you know that there are some really great websites and trainings and supports available out there, and I will be sure to share those in the show notes. So please look for those. This podcast is not meant to replace those excellent resources, but I am just an autism specialist who has sadly now seen the inside of jails, juvenile corrections facilities, courtrooms, and the Oregon State Hospital. And it seems that there are a few things at play that are landing autistic people on the wrong side of the law. I have now been involved in two sexual assault cases, numerous aggravated assault cases, and two theft cases. So, yeah, I don't love talking about this, but I think it's really important that we do. Families experiencing challenges with their children's behavior, like early on, are simply not being supported properly. And family, I mean, even once a child and a family enter appropriate supports, things seem to, yes, they improve, but... However, most of the families I've encountered in the legal system, like later, so as teens and adults, had not accessed support and services. So why? Well, I'll be honest, that seems to remain an excellent question, and I think it varies. Some families are actually quite engaged, which might surprise you, and become frustrated with the school system's attention to their child's experiences with, say, bullying or a lack of appropriate accommodations. So they choose then to homeschool. Now, homeschooling can absolutely be amazing and the best choice, so don't get me wrong on that. But there is a lack of experiences with kind of that trial and error with peers. And so I I think it needs to be coupled with that. But that trial and error with peers, or the lack thereof, can actually set a child or a person teen up for potentially being especially vulnerable with peers as young adults because they uh, people with autism of course have the drive to have part friends friendships 
sexual partners, a group, a community. And so if they don't have the common sense and the kind of decision-making practice that they might need, they may be defiant when you try and help them as young adults or teens, which also makes them vulnerable, which is because it's a, and it's a tough combination to have the defiant, wanting to be independent, yet vulnerable. And that is a combination I see. So even if a student has access to the, student, the school supports, this may not provide them the sex education, for example, necessary to ensure many basics while their hormones are very real and compelling to them. So then they end up going on the internet or in real situations with, with underage children, for example, because no one has told them specifically what the rules are. Had someone given them a very clear, concrete, and brutally honest conversation about who can have sexual relationships with who, according to the law, and the importance of consent, these situations may not have happened. So I am certainly not blaming parents. I want you to know that. I'm not blaming professionals. I'm not blaming anybody. I feel like we just don't know yet what we don't know as professionals and parents, but we can do better. We can communicate the importance of clear and concrete information for teens who may not understand the subtle cues of peers egging them on to do things that they shouldn't or the dangers of even looking at children in a sexual manner. We can recognize and stop bullying by educating students and professionals of the long-term effects of that kind of trauma that I see again and again. We can listen to parents early in their development, early in their child's development, when their children are struggling with regulation, not just behavior, looking at, looking at it as difficulties with regulation would get us a lot further than we are now. And with proper training, that child and family and community can be supported rather than deemed manipulative. If they're deemed manipulative, they grow and become combative rather than supported to understand and advocate for their own unique processing and self-regulation. Dysregulated children don't always turn into dysregulated teens and adults, but guess what? When they do, they often learn to run with crowds who celebrate aggressiveness or self, they end up self-medicating through drug and alcohol use. Prompt-dependent children don't always remain prompt-dependent, but when they do, they may become more susceptible to peer prompts instead of adult prompts anymore, just to fit in, to have what they deem as friends who may actually get them in a lot of trouble. And again, that individuation, wanting to become an adult, is still there, regardless of the autism or not. So the battle begins between parents, authority, and that young person when they're prompt dependent early. So that's one thing that we can definitely work on is reducing that prompt dependency. The anecdote to all of this surely seems simple, right? Teacher and parent education, 
regarding autistic processing that includes how to guide a child to think for themselves, so not being prompt dependent, thinking for themselves, rather than falling prey as being prompt dependents. And step one is being able to think optimally, to think about regulation. So sorry, let me say that again. So the anecdote is teacher and parent education regarding autistic processing that includes how to guide a child to think for themselves rather than falling prey as prompt dependence. And step one is to be able to think optimally is to be regulated. So what I mean by that Let me say that. I know I'm trying again. So in order to think optimally, you need to be regulated. So that might be a better way of saying it. And so step one has to be the regulation, right? So they fit together, in my opinion. Dependency on the child. So depending on the child, you either need to support regulation first or jump into active, engaged, and extensive opportunities for problem solving rather than compliance or skill training. So step one is regulation, but that depends on the child or the teen or the young adult, whether that is the most crucial. But for, you know what, 99.9999% of the people with autism that I know or autistic individuals have some difficulty with regulation. So I should probably just say that that's going to always be the truth. So regulation first, understanding the regulation, understanding and advocating for themselves, having visuals, not just of how to comply to something of these, you know, color scales and things, but really helping them understand their own regulation so that they can advocate for themselves instead of finding that they, you know, people are just telling them they're manipulative. And then the second part of that is help them be decision makers. Don't just assume that you have to do things for them. Let them have that beautiful opportunity to engage and be active in problem solving. And that is going to take some of the things that you hear me talk about all the time of giving them processing time so that their attention can shift, so they can be at their best, reducing the uh, multiples that are happening around them from sensory input, etc, etc. So I'm going to stop there. I just wanted to put that out there. It really came up this week. I had I had was a Uh, expert witness this week in a trial. And it just really is at the forefront of my mind this week. So thank you for listening. Um, If you want to hear anything about some of those other issues that I just brought up about processing time, about um, attention shifting, blah, 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 you can certainly go on to my um, Synergy Autism podcast blog, which has all of the show notes. And um, you will see that there are numerous other podcasts available on those other topics. But again, like I started this, if you have something that you would like for me to talk about more, like say I've talked about something, but you'd like for me to dive further into it, or maybe you want to hear about something that's happening for your child or your student around, um, uh, behavior management, you know, we're starting the new school year or transitions or, oh gosh, anything. I can kind of talk about anything having to do with autism. And if I don't know, I am going to find somebody who can and I will interview them on here. Okay, so yeah, ask away. Barbara at SynergyAutismCenter.com 
And again, thank you for listening and I appreciate you. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Synergy Autism Podcast, where we bring research, information, and people together to best understand and love those with autism, also known as autistic individuals. Check out my website for lots of additional links, like my Facebook account, Instagram account, blogs that I have written, videos, and even courses that are both free and some that I have labored with some wonderful colleagues um, to produce just for you. And contact me with questions and ideas for future podcasts. I'm here. I'm listening. Till next time.